to make extremely difficult and soul-searching decisions. We're talking about practice. All right, we're going to get right into it here. I'm all by myself, Dave Murphy, columnist for the Philadelphia Daily News. And let's cut with the jibber-jabber and get straight down to business. I've got two guys who will be joining me via the Mike Sealski hotline. Mike Sealski is out of commission today, unlike myself, hard at work making phone calls and tracking down sources. Myself, I'm going to sit here and talk into a microphone and lean upon my friends from the Philadelphia Inquirer who... We'll fill us in on everything Eagles and Phillies that you need to know. Lots to talk about. But without further ado, let's go first to Zach Berman. Zach, man, it's been a crazy, crazy, crazy 24 to 48 hours. Can you just fill me in on everything I've missed? I haven't looked at Twitter over the last hour and a half. Brian Maxwell is a dolphin? Is that that's official? <laughs> yes. Yes. After um, That might have been two hours ago. Hours, yeah. After three hours of uh, speculation whether... He would pass his physical or fail his physical. Yes, he's he's going to go to the Dolphins. Uh, as, as we speak, we're a few hours away from four o'clock when everything becomes official. Uh, you're starting to hear some of these signings leak out now. So there's trades we discussed a few days ago, or that were in the paper a few days ago. Um, those are going to go through at four o'clock. Uh, Chase Daniel, Rodney McLeod are going to sign with the Eagles. Chase Daniel as backup quarterback, Rodney McLeod as a starting safety, and I imagine. Um, in these next few hours, and certainly once 4 o'clock hits, uh, you'll see a few more signings from the Eagles. What is coming back um, in the in all of the deals right now? What 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 have they added draft pick wise? Is it just the is it just the swap uh, of first round picks? In the Maxwell Alonzo deal, yes, um, that's a, that's a swap of, of you know, Eagles go from 13 to 8, is that um, which is actually a fairly big deal? jump, and it changes the draft picture for them. Yeah, I mean, I've said for a few years now that I think the Dolphins are secretly under the radar of becoming the Raiders of the Eastern time zone. And I'm not sure that anything that has happened over the last 24 hours has disproven that. Um, what are they thinking, and is there anything I'm missing? Well, in, the, in terms of what the Dolphins are thinking is, is that you get a cost-controlled linebacker um, and you get a cornerback who was – uh, the most coveted cornerback on the market last year besides Terrell Rebus. Um, so you hope that in Maxwell's case, a scheme change will help um, going into more of a zone-based scheme. Uh, that could be a benefit to him. And then in, in Alonzo's case, you hope the second year off of the injury is something better. And, uh, to do that, you just pay you pay five picks in the draft, which I'm, I'm not poo-pooing that. That's a that's a, a big drop-off when you talk about quality of player. Um, but when you're potentially adding two starters to the mix and you still draft 13, I can understand it, at least from the Dolphins' perspective, as long as you're confident in Maxwell and Alonzo. Yeah, I mean, that, I, look, I think that there's a lot of upside in Kiko Alonzo, at least. Um, you know, he, we, we did not see Kiko Alonzo as Kiko Alonzo last year. I think it was... You could see any time he tried to cut off that knee. Like, it just wasn't there. And I'm not sure that he had, you know, I'm not sure that a, a full full healthy offseason wouldn't have left him 5 to 10 pounds heavier than he was last year because that was another big knock on him. He, he did look very skinny. Uh, but that being said, to, to shed Byron Maxwell's contract, I think it's just, it, it, I mean, you give it to me. One, on a scale of 1 to 10, how 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 critical how big how important how positive a move is it for the eagles i would say assuming you don't want him here um, which certainly we could take that assumption at face value there uh i would say it's about a seven and i say that because you're saving money this year but you're still needing half of, of that deal where i think it helps the most um is uh where i i think it helps the most is in those latter years, is 17, 18, 19, uh, when you're trying to sign Fletcher Cox to an extension, things of that nature. That's where, you know, you're trying to clear those books. Uh, and, and, and getting that 11.2 cap number certainly helps. Rodney McLeod, what do you know about him? Uh, as we speak, I, yeah. should, I should say this is Wednesday. Um, 
you know, things are changing. I, I can't even imagine what you would do with a podcast had we recorded one yesterday at this time. Uh, you'd probably just throw it away because it would be completely irrelevant. So I'm hoping that, that at the very least this, this stuff sticks. But Rodney B. Cloud, five years, whatever. I mean, a dollar amount, we, we need to know the details. Um, but he, he is regarded as, as, as a pretty big addition to the secondary, correct? Yes. I, now, now, I actually covered Rodney McLeod when he was in college at Virginia. Um, so at Virginia? I, I, at, at Virginia. I, I, I was the Virginia beat writer. Yep. And I remember them recruiting him out of DeMatha High School. Um, and I, I, uh, I mean, this is a player who I think is uh, it's a real good signing for the Eagles. Now, I'm not just saying that because I have exposure to him in the past. I'm saying for a few reasons. First off, uh, three, he, he started the past three years in St. Louis. Um, was really productive for them, an ascending player. It's kind of what you want in today's safety in that he's not like necessarily an in-the-box guy. You know, I think there's this this, this misconception that he is because he's a hard hitter, but he can play deep. You know, he's 5'10", 195, so he he's not really built. You know, like like these uh, safeties that are almost like linebackers. You know, you know he can move. Um, and then the thing I always worry about in free agency is the scheme adjustment. Um, and that's not necessarily a significant problem with McLeod because he's coming from the Rams and they run Jim Schwartz, Greg Williams' defense, and that's kind of where Jim Schwartz – oh, I'm sorry, they run Jeff Fisher, Greg Williams' defense, and that's where Jim Schwartz's roots are there. Uh, so I think this is going to turn out to be a good signing, a very underrated signing. Now, it's not – I mean, they pay a significant cost. He's going to be one of the top five paid safeties in the NFL, but he is um, – uh, He's going to pair up with Malcolm Jenkins to be one of the best combinations um, the Eagles have had in a long time. Well, that's exciting because safety has just been an absolute. I, I thought Walter. I thought Walter Thurman had a solid year last year, but but I mean he's not. He, he was essentially just another defensive back on the field uh, or another cornerback on the field. Uh, it sounds like McLeod is a little more. Uh, I mean, he can hit. Well, yeah, he can hit. He can play deep. Um, he's 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 not a big name. Um, but he is a good player. Uh, I think this is a guy who, who he's interchangeable, him and Malcolm together. Um, this is a good combination. The thing I like about just uh, Jim Schwartz, you know, I don't know a ton about him, and I know his defenses in, in Detroit weren't great, but I watched, I watched him when he was with the Bills, and, and it seemed like he's a guy who will adapt his scheme to the, to the, to the talent he has. And, you know, they played – they played. They played a little bit different of a scheme in Buffalo than they did. Um, than they did when he was with Detroit, and, and obviously he had a higher level of player there. But I, I think that when he's involved in in the free agent process, I think you, you're kind of almost building to specification for him. Do you know what I'm saying? I, you know. He, yes and no. I I see your point, and you don't know Jim Schwartz is going to be a long term defense coordinator. I mean, I imagine he he wants to be a head coach, right. but I I. I I think one of the problems that the Eagles have had in free agency uh, is is what I just mentioned, is scheme projection. Um, you saw it with Namdi. You saw it a bit with DeMarco. You saw it, I think, with Byron Maxwell. Um, is Even though you think a player's skill set fits in your scheme, if you haven't seen him play in that scheme, you don't know if you're getting that type of player. Uh, and, and that was why I kind of thought, like, when Chip Kelly was, was, was getting bashed for the Oregon bias, I, I thought, well, you should want players who you're exposed to, who you know beyond the tape, because there's so much more that goes into it. Um, and uh, and so I, I think in McLeod's case, um, I I understand what you're saying that you don't want to get players just for Jim Schwartz's defense because um, Jim Schwartz was was one and done in his last coordinator stop uh, that that wasn't his choosing, but you've seen that before. Uh, but I, I think at least in free agency, because most of that money is early on in contract, uh, you want guys who you know can fit in your scheme. And uh, the Eagles, you would think, based on some of these signings, Chase Daniel, Rodney McLeod, um, are understanding of that point now. Yeah, I, I guess that's I, – I, I probably didn't make myself clear. I think that, that that's pretty much what I was saying. Uh, I mean, when you look at Nandi Asimov, they signed him and tried to fit him into a scheme that – was already there and implemented, and, and it wasn't necessarily his scheme. I, it, like The fact that Jim Schwartz is in his first year as defensive coordinator, has his scheme, uh, you know, they can they can almost cater their selections, I feel like, towards 
guys that he will be like I, I mean they showed Jim Schwartz tape of Rodney McLeod he looks at the guy and say yes I know what I will do with this guy do you know what I'm saying whereas yeah. uh, with Namde Asimo it was look you know let's see if this guy can work with what we want to do defensively yes yes I, I agree with you there um, and, and, and it's also the fact that, that you see him play that position in that scheme right. um, and, and, and that is that's so important, and that's where so you see it a lot with with wide receivers, especially free agent wide receivers who who miss because it's. I mean, the, you move the player from one system to another. You sometimes it's environmental, the teammates you have. Um, you know, in, in the receiver's case, it's a quarterback, but just all these different factors. If you can take the guessing game out of free agency as much as possible, I think that's a variable that's really significant. So what's next? So we have just just to run down um, to remind mind myself mostly of what what's happened already. Byron Maxwell's gone. Demarco Murray's gone. We need uh, we need uh, we need um, we need to find out about Jason Peters still, or do you think he's definitely here? No, I think Jason Peters is back. Um, and then Lane jo- you have Lane Johnson at right tackle. You have Jason Kelsey yeah. at center. What, what what do they do about guard? They need guard. They they need to sign. Uh, I, I mean, they need to hit that in the free agent market. Jeff Allen's a name you've heard. I just don't know if that's going to uh, – I don't know if that's going to – you know, I, I mean, there's a market there. When, Jeff Allen from the Kansas City By the time people listen to this, you know, we'll find out where he goes. Um, but uh, but they need starting guards in free agency. You can't wait till a draft for that, and they just don't have depth at that position. What about cornerback? Cornerback. Is Leotis McKelvin uh, – is he enough? No, he's not enough. He's a depth piece. I mean, he's someone who has starting experience. You you know he can play in this league. Um, then you have Eric Rowe. I think they'll continue to add there. Um, but that's a big need for the Eagles. And I, and I thought Maxwell played better than people thought. Uh, but that's a big – I mean, that's – you take Maxwell out of the occasion. That's a big need. What about running back? Well, if if you stick with what you have now and Ryan Matthews, Aaron Sproles, draft somebody I, I think that's fine if they want Matthews out the door then you're going to need to uh you're going to need to address it um but uh but Ryan Matthews Darren Sproles is a is a is a good enough combination I would think I, I thought last year they had too many bats um and I, I I think when when you have more of a balance of carries there uh I, I thought Matthews was productive in San Diego he just got hurt um that's, so if you can keep him I mean, healthy that's, that's as Charlie Manuel would say that that's part of it um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, and Chip Kelly used to say, you know, the, the best abilities are availability. Um, but uh, that's a variable you, you just can't account for. Yeah, so, I, I guess my concern would be in Sproles and Matthews. You have two guys who have looked their best, you know, when they're, you know, kind of fifteen carry, you know, twelve to fifteen carry guys, and and guys who almost inevitably are going to miss a couple games at least a year. And I mean, what happens if they miss the same week? Do you know, I mean, that happened, that almost happened this year, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I see your point there. But you can take a running back in fifth round, fifth round and, and develop. Um, so uh, I understand your point. I, I just think that if you pair up Matthews and Sproles, um, I mean, they have Farner on the roster, but I, I would imagine they would they would draft somebody. Uh, I mean, look at Kansas City last year. They lost Jamal Charles, plug in. I, I mean, they had Niall Davis. He wasn't working out. They plug in uh, West. They plug in Spencer Ware. So running back to spot, I, I, I wouldn't worry too much about. I, I wouldn't put so much money in there unless you're paying a, a Todd Gurley cut player. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about paying money. I'm talking about bringing in a guy like Palau Powell or or – you know, perhaps, it's, yeah, 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 perhaps. But if you have Sproles, I mean, as long as Sproles is on the roster and you have Matthews, um, I just think you get a crowd of backfield. If, if, if your third running back is a veteran, um, I, I, I just don't think that's that's the way to go. I, I think it, it's better to have someone who, who you develop there who, who can who has potential to become a starter at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly not high on the list of concerns. What, what have you thought about – what have you thought about just overall – the off season, and uh, I mean, is, has has what you've seen surprised you? Have you been impressed? Have you well, give me give me a, an evaluation of Howie Roseman's job performance? Well, it's it's TBD, you know. Um, 
I've, I've said this before, and, and I, I feel strongly about it, that there's this huge kind of cap space of this panacea. You know, that, uh, look, he, but it, it's how do you use that, that, that cap space? And I think in, in Howie's case, uh, valuation has always been a skill set. He's always been able to identify the price of players, um, always been able to identify uh, in trade markets, um, in the draft, I, I, except for the Marcus Smith example, where a player is going to go. But, but even in that, he, he, he did a good job with the valuation. Mm-hmm. I think the evaluation is more of the question here. You know, is, is, um, is, is he finding the right guy? So how he's doing exactly what I, I think he does well. Um, smart contracts, opening up tap space, um, good trades. Uh, this has kind of been what his strength is as a GM. It's going to be how does he use those picks? How does he use that cap money? Um, and, and, and that's where the jury's out because we won't know that until they're on the field. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's why I, I said back last year, the shame in what happened with the Eagles is that Howie Roseman and Chip Kelly really complemented each other well. Um, you know, I didn't think Chip knew it. I didn't think Chip's strength was um, was those offseason movements, was the contract, was valuing trades. I, I I thought the Eagles lost in that Rams trade last year, giving up that second round pick. Um, I think some of the contracts they gave out were bloated. I I didn't think he, he did a good job with Evan Mathis, um, letting him go for nothing. I mean, these are things that are strengths of Howie Roseman. But in 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 terms of identifying players. I think Chip Kelly did a fairly good job of that, you know, signing Walter Thurman to play him, um, you know, at safety. Um, and I, I just thought he, he the, the values he, 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 he had on these players was a weakness. Uh, so I, I think him and Howie would have complimented each other. Obviously, the, the, the problem there is that they just didn't work out, and, you know, I'm personality-wise. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a great point. You know the Walter Thurman thing. I, I mean, like you said, they're they're Chip clearly knew talent when he saw it in front of him. Um, you know, I think that that look they 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 thought. I, I guess, like you said, he just wasn't able to put an NFL value on what he saw. I mean, he saw that Evan Mathis was declining, but. I don't know that he put the proper value on having an ev- even a declining Evan Mathis on your roster. Uh, sure. You know, he saw that. Sure. And, 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 and if I can just interject yeah, real no quick, that's where it, 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 the line in that story that Evan Mathis had or, you know, the interview that he did that, that kind of made me laugh is, is when he said, Chip, uh, Chip called him to say, you're cutting me or, 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 you're, or, 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 or we're cutting you. And Mathis' response was something like, are you sure about this? You know, because because Mathis knew what was behind him on the depth chart. Right. Yeah, and you know, and look, like like he knew Nick Foles. I don't think anyone's arguing that Nick Foles. You know, that he he improperly evaluated Nick Foles. I don't think he's. You know, he found Walter Thurman. He, you know, EJ Biggers played all right for them. Uh, but like you said, clearly he had no idea how the NFL works salary wise, and and how as you said, how he's always been great at that. It's but it's but he also you know he's got to find. He's got to build a scouting department that has some stability, and he's got to he's got to make those right. He, he, he can't try to outsmart himself on draft day. Uh, you know those that that 2010 2011 draft where they had all those picks. I mean, just tons and tons and tons of picks, and came away only with Brandon Graham. That that just can't happen, or or, or else this. I mean, Doug Peterson will be doomed. It would seem. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that, and and the construction of the roster. Um, is is going to be critical here, uh, and that's where you know you talk about the scouting staff. I I think that can be overstated a little bit because Howie obviously wasn't involved last year, back involved now, um, and uh, and so you take Chip out of the picture, you take Ed Manowitz out of the picture, but you put Doug in, uh, you put Howie in. Um, so, uh, but they don't have a, a director of, of college scouting. I, I, I think where more of the issue could be, or could come up, is the fact that Chip was very specific about what they wanted in players, mm-hmm. um, and the, the, the scouts have been on the road looking for Chip Kelly players. Now you change that, and it's a pretty dramatic difference. I think you know the Eagles. Uh, I mean, height, weight, speed, character, things of that nature. Uh, as, as you well know, Chip was so specific, and, and when you take 
that prototype away, when you take those specifications away, I think it changes the equation. Um, and I'm curious to see how the Eagles and their scouts adapt to that. Well, before we let you go, let's 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 talk about that that new newly top ten pick that they have. Um, I mean, I think the conventional wisdom was beforehand they were going to look offensive line. Jack Jack Conklin was a guy who a lot of the prognosticators had had slotted uh, slotted to, to to the Eagles at number thirteen. Where do you think they go now? Do you think? Well, well it, actually, let it me gives them you, a host of options here. Um, let me ask it you, gives let, them because. It, I mean, it's a different pool of players all of a sudden. You're going to get one of the eight best players in the draft, or you could trade down, pick up another second rounder, and still draft in the top 20. Um, that's, you know, that's another possibility there. The thing I would, I mean, if I don't know what direction they're, they're going to go. If you look at Mead, obviously Ronnie Stanley is the guy who comes to mind in, in that range. Um, but if you're just talking best player, my personal favorite player in the draft, and I'm not talking about for the Eagles, I'm not talking, I'm just saying the, the player who I would, would want most in this draft is Miles Jack. Um, watching him play, uh, he was he was really really talented, and, and I, I think he's a special player. And he's there at at, at number eight. Um, I mean, the Eagles have a need now a linebacker, but even besides that, uh, they just need blue chip players. And you saw when they drafted Fletcher Cox in 2012, he was the best player on the board. He wasn't a day one starter for them but he turns into the best player on the team. And I think Miles Jack is one of those players who he can turn into one of the best players in his position in the league. Uh, and if you have a top 10 pick, that's what you want. You don't want a guy who is just going to kind of be a solid player from day one. You want a guy who's, who's going to turn into into one of the top five, 10 players at his position in the NFL. I mean, it's a back up your point. I think the Miles Jack, the, 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 the upside for Miles Jack is a guy like, Luke Keekley, who was drafted right around that range, and I imagine if the, the Panthers had decided to draft an offensive lineman that year instead of Luke Keekley, I mean, he completely revolutionized that defense. One player, th- th- I think that's the thing when you get into that, when you get closer to that top five, six, seven, eight range, you're greatly increasing your chances of getting a guy not just that, as you said, will will prove to be a solid starter for you, which which is, you know. Given the volatility of the draft is a win in in and of itself, but to get a transformative player, Luke Keekley is a transformative player. They they went through the Super Bowl this year largely because of him, because of Thomas Davis. I mean, he he, he has that kind of impact on a defense. And uh, do you feel like Miles Jack is 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 that kind of player? I I personally do. Uh, no, no, I'm obviously not a scout, um, but just from you know from the naked eye, uh, from from watching him play at UCLA, even. From his freshman year, um, he he was just he stood out on the field. I mean, you you knew where Miles excuse me, you knew where Miles Jack uh, was on the field throughout the game, um, and, uh, and and that's a program too where uh, Anthony Barr, Aaron Kendricks. I mean, their their linebackers have you know, Shaq Thompson. Their well, I'm sorry, Shaq Thompson was from Washington, but um, Anthony Barr. Aaron Kendricks, their linebackers that have been productive in the NFL. Um, so yeah, so I I think Miles Jack and uh, if he's there at eight, um, that's a that's a blue chip type player. Do you think they had a tar- Do you think they had a group of players in mind that they absolutely that, that they target they targeted this pick from Miami, or do you think it just kind of worked out that way instead of you know going for a third or fourth rounder? A little bit of both. Um, you know, I I would imagine Howie he, he he's pretty strategic in, in terms of the way he thinks. Um, so I, I think he saw the board. He saw where it, it cut off, and you want to get into the top ten. But it's that Sam Hakey term, optionality, you know, and that's uh, there's value in that. When you have the eighth pick, it gives you so many more options than when you have the thirteenth pick, and especially when the Eagles don't have a second rounder, um, either in 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 terms of getting a better player or being able to trade back and getting more picks. Um, you'd much rather be at eight than at thirteen. Uh, so I, I just think. The Eagles are in a far better position on draft day and a much more interesting position on draft day than they were uh, before this. You know, it's funny. For a guy who has allegedly done such such an awful job with the Sixers, Sam Hankey sure gets name-dropped an awful lot when somebody wants to compliment <laughs> what another general manager does. Uh, well, that goes back to my point about valuation and evaluation. You know, you, yep. you, can, take, you, know, you can take the player who's highest on your board at, at, at number three, you know, whether it's, it's Jaleel Okafor, um, but uh, but if if 
you don't get Porzingis, then that's a problem. Or if you if you draft Michael Carter Williams and you flip that into a higher pick, that's a good move. But if you 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 could have taken the Greek freak at the Michael Carter Williams pick. So it comes down to finding the right players. That's 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 obviously a big part of it. We should have had you in here on our uh, Sealski and I had a podcast a couple of months ago, in which we talked about this exact same thing uh, with regard to Hinky. As a matter of fact, whether. I, I'd be happy to have that discussion anytime. See, because I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that he's – I agree with everything he's done from a valuation standpoint, from a non-player evaluative standpoint. But I, get, but I think our point – Mike and I both agreed on this, that everything Sam Hinkie, the, the process, it, it can be absolutely correct, and it could still fail miserably if he's not a good player. Talent evaluation. Sure. Sure. And, and, and that's where – I mean, not to have a Sixers discussion, but <laughs> – uh, you know, when I hear the process discussed, uh, he's, he's not the first one to do it. I mean, the the Minnesota Timberwolves did it. You, you know, they had two top ten picks, and they took Johnny Flynn or Ricky Rubio. And, and, and then they had the number two pick, and they took Derek Williams. Um, you know, and, and you go on down the list, some of the moves they made. Um, but if, if, if you pass on Steph Curry or if you miss on the second pick, uh, that's where it comes back to bite you. The Charlotte Bobcats had, had – uh, Kemba Walker, Bismack Biombo. You know, um, they were trying to get Anthony Davis. They they couldn't get Anthony Davis. They get Michael Gilchrist instead. Uh, so it's it, Sam Hinkie's not the first one to try to maximize your you know or or get those high draft picks, lose games, get those draft picks, get as many options as he can. But you got to hit on those picks in order to be successful. All right. Well, we're definitely doing a basketball podcast at some time. <laughs> well, you know what we'll do? We'll do basketball and and a, a basketball and pizza podcast. Zach Zach Berman <laughs> is a pizza. I, I learned this before I was on my way up. I, I was I was getting ready to drive up to New England. Zach Berman is a pizza aficionado. I, I don't know if there's oh, like yeah. a, an official word for that, like sommelier or something like. That. He's like a pizza sommelier, and he told me it, it was one of the best advice, pieces of advice I've ever been given in my life. He said, "If you're driving up to New to uh, Boston, stop at New stop in New Haven, uh, you know, along the way, and get either uh, modern pizza or what was the other one? Frank Pepe's. Yeah, Frank and, Pepe's. and I got an yeah. I got an Italian bomb from modern a pizza, and it was it was awesome. It was it was just absolutely awesome. Well, glad to be a service. And what, so, what's your pick? And your pick is uh, there's a Fishtown joint, right? That you like? That's that's your. Well, I it, it, it's in Port Richmond, Tacanelli. That's that's, a, that's my favorite in Philadelphia. All right, well, yeah, so we'll do uh, maybe sometime pre-NBA draft, we'll do an NBA podcast, and then you'll do your, uh, you'll, you'll do like a lottery draft of pizzas. A pizza, sign me up for that, I'm in for that. All right, man, well, look, Zach Berman, I don't know if, I don't know if everybody understands how hard these guys work during times like this. It's, it's an, as a former Phillies beat writer, it's an absolute pain in the butt um, trying to keep, keep tabs on Twitter and rumors and all that kind of stuff. So uh, if, you see, if you see Zach, give him a hug. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, and um, thank him for joining us on Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. Thanks, Zach. And as Zach departs, another Philadelphia Inquirer beat writer joins us. I am about to introduce a man who joined the Phillies beat last year. I believe it was last year. Spent a lot of time covering the minor leagues. He's down in Clearwater, Florida right now. Uh, I apologize for cutting the Eagles talk short. I know, I know that's what a lot of people care about, but the Phillies are uh, the Phillies are are in the midst of an intriguing, intriguing time in their trajectory, and they're a little more time neutral as well, so they're they're they play a little bit better than the podcast audience. I left Clearwater, Florida, about two weeks ago, February twenty sixth, and at that time the Phillies had not yet begun playing spring training games. They're now in in the throws. I don't know if that's a an appropriate word. I don't know if that's the proper word anyway. The throws of their Grapefruit League. I'm going to use it anyway. Their Grapefruit League schedule. And one of the uh, one of the unfortunate pieces of news to come out of Clearwater in the last few days has been the wrist of one Aaron Altier, projected to be the starting right fielder for the Phillies, now will miss, it sounds like, four to six months. But to answer... With some more specificity, let's bring in Mr. Breen, the man himself, Matt Breen, from sunny Clearwater, Florida. Actually, is it still sunny down there, Matt? Yeah, it's still sunny, Dave. It's still uh, still nice and beautiful ever since you left. Well, yeah, I mean, in more ways than one, I would assume. 
Yeah, that's true. It's probably a little bit brighter since you've been gone. Um, <laughs> well, the sky is uh, the sky is smiling on us up here in Philadelphia today. It is Wednesday, and uh, it's like seventy five degrees and sunny, so we can't complain about that. I might go. Uh, I might go have a. I might have a cold beverage later on to celebrate. But anyway, we're here to talk about uh, the best laid plans of mice and men, and how, as John Steinbeck once said, something about them. They don't work out all the time. Uh, Aaron Altier is scheduled to miss, what, four to six months with a wrist injury um, that he suffered. When did he suffer it? Uh, he suffered it over the weekend, or it was on Friday, actually, making a diving catch attempt in the first inning against Atlanta. Um, dove out, and it's actually his glove hand. He kind of rolled on it when he fell, and the next day he said it wasn't a big deal. He thought he'd be fine, and then two days later he's having surgery. Well, let I that be funny how things happen. I know. Let that be a lesson to all the kids out there that you don't get hurt slacking off. Yeah, exactly. Don't ever go the extra mile because you might break your wrist. So what? What? What are they going to do now? I mean, who starts? You got Borjos in left. Yeah, I Herrera think in, always, in center. He had a spot. So you had Borges, Adubel, and then Altair. So my guess is that you and Nick Williams and Roman Quinn aren't going to make the team, and they're in camp too. So Tyler Godell, who they they drafted him in the Rule 5 draft, the first pick. He's he's a likely guy that's going to replace him. He can bat at the top of the order. He also can bat at the bottom of the order. Um, he's, he's, but the big question is he's only played double-A. He hasn't played past double-A. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa, whoa. He so was an saying, infielder. Wait, so, so you're saying Roman Quinn has a spot on the opening day roster right now? No, Roman Quinn and Nick Williams won't go to the they, – they won't go to the majors. Well, who, they'll, they'll I'm start sorry, who the are you just talking about? This is Tyler Godell. Oh, 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 Rule oh, five oh, 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 oh. Sorry, sorry, man. I'm, I'm, so, I'm all, I'm all out of whack here. I'm, listen, yeah, you're you, too you busy worrying about the Eagles. You should see me right now. I'm, I'm, I'm in a studio. Well, I say studio. It's an office, a vacant office by myself, <laughs> wearing headphones, surrounded by mixing boards, staring at a uh, computer screen with squiggly lines all on top of it, and I'm just terrified <laughs> that right now this is not recording. So. It's not even uh, like an office. It, it's like a broom closet. Yeah, you've been in here. It's not a broom closet. Yeah. Come on. It, this is like All a, right, uh, it's a little bit bigger than a broom dude, closet. Dude, this is, this is called a uh, master bedroom in the Northeast, man. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so Tyler Goodell, you think, starts? You think he is your he – think, you think he is their starting opening day right fielder? Yes, which will make it the second straight year that they have a Rule 5 pick starting on opening day, that never played past double-A, and also was an infielder, you know, less than a year earlier. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's just the odds of that. You thought it was crazy last year. Oh, how's those people going to handle the outfield? Now they're doing it again. Going to try their hand the second straight year with it. And uh, so far, he's looked fine. He's played mostly in right field. He's played all three positions out there this spring. Mostly a right fielder. Pete McKinnon raved about him yesterday. Said he was really impressed. And what is special with his approach to the plate, which he said it isn't the norm for a young guy to work each count and not swing at uh, bad pitches. So yeah, I, um, we'll see what happens. It's, it's still a couple weeks left down here. Yeah, I saw. I watched his at bat against uh, Drew Hutchinson the other day. Um, I don't think. I, I, I think he ended up slicing a line drive out to right field. But I mean, he battled, okay. he battled really. This was in Dunedin, um, probably Saturday or Friday. Yeah, but he bat, I mean, but he. I think he worked the count full. He he really battled, fouled a few pitches off, and uh, you know, and that that the, I mean, the line drive was a very hard hit ball. Um, so that that was impressive. But again, that was one at bat, and uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an authority on Tyler Goodell. But I will say this: the kid has a absolute cannon of an arm. Have you have you seen that? No, and that that's you know what Aaron Altair did have a really good arm. So you're going to lose a little bit there. But he's he's fast and he can you know he can cover a lot of ground out there. But I'm telling like, you, man, he can throw. I was watching him. I was watching him play long toss the other day. Well, not the other day, but whenever. Who's I was, that? Altair, you said? No, 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 no. Uh, Goodell. Oh, Goodell. Yeah, okay. He, he can he can sling it too, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he can. Uh, what do you think of? Uh, I mean, what are the expectations for him then? I mean, keep in mind, um, Adubel Herrera, he was he did not have a great first three months of the season. I think he was open. No, he didn't, he, and they were patient with him. And, you know, they let him blossom into what he became last year. So, Goodell was kind of the same boat. You, Like I said, you could bat him at the top or the bottom. or probably bat him at the, near the bottom of the order or let him, you know, take his licks since he hasn't played above double-A. And hopefully you get the same result he had with his Google. 
But the one thing is, when it was a Rule 5 draft in December, he was a clear-cut number one pick. Right. So this guy, you know, he, he is a legitimate, you know, prospect that he has a chance of, he, no matter what, he was going to stick with the team all season. Now he's just being pushed into the starter role. Yeah, it's interesting. So what, I mean, what's the sense you get down there? Because last year, were you at spring training last year? Yeah. Oh, sorry, that you're. I can't believe I missed We're, your. Presence. We had such a good time together. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, last year at spring training, um, I mean the the sense was that the Phillies really, really, really believed in a Dubal Herrera. They 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 absolutely thought that he would hit at the major league level, and they thought that he would stick not only on the roster all year but in the lineup. And the only way that would not have happened is if he he could not play defense in the outfield, and it turned out that he could. Um, but I mean, at the plate, there was very little. At least coming from the Phillies, there's very little question as to whether he would be able to hold his own against major league pitching at some point. What is the what is the sense you get from them with regard to Goodell? Yeah, Dubal was a little bit different because he was the batting champion in the Texas League. He was the batting champion in the Winter League, and the manager of his or the GM of the Winter League team was Jorge Valandia, who works for the Phillies. So they knew a lot about Dubal. Um, it was kind of like he was a part of the organization over the winter time. And then Goodell is a little bit more of an unknown, but you know the expectations were that they were going to let him. He was going to be a fourth outfielder, so he he didn't have the pressure that a double kind of had. Um, you know, he was going to be a kind of he could coast through, and and really you could hide him on the bench if you had to. And now they're going to be forced to play him, but but I think it's positive. I think they like him. Like I said, McCannum was really positive about him yesterday. He was raving about him. And then you know we'll see what happens. I, I don't know how. If you told me this time last year that Dubal Herrera would almost win the Rookie of the Year and be starting for opening day on the second straight year, I'd be kind of surprised. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. You never know. It's interesting too because um, I mean the most the most interesting thing to me about the Dubal Herrera situation is that Texas left him off their forty man roster, and and you would think that they would be regretting that decision, except they left him off their forty man roster in part to keep a spot open for their Rule 5 pick, who ended up <laughs> having as good or maybe even a better year than Adubo Herrera last year, Delina DeShields uh, Jr., yeah. junior, um, who who batted atop their lineup for, for the entire season, and, and they were at least in playoff contention uh, for a little while. So it's it's I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, I'd, we need a bigger sample size, but I'm curious if Rule 5 picks will more and more be able to hold their own um, against major league pitching. I mean, years past, you just didn't see Rule Five hitters, uh, you know, stick. You saw pitchers yeah, sometimes. Yeah, you're you seeing could a lot of good pitching at Double A. So it's like he's, it's not like he was facing high school kids last year. He was facing probably, you know, if you look at who he was facing, he's probably facing a lot of you know top ten prospect pitchers. No, but this also plays into my theory, which we may have discussed on our Phillies preview podcast when you were in here um, a couple months ago. That I I really do think that that there's an argument that Major League Baseball developers are overcautious with regards to the lower levels of the minor leagues. And really, you don't know whether a, a guy can only learn to hit Major League pitching when he sees it. Because as you, I mean, as you said, there's prospects in double A, but you were practically the Reading Phillies beat writer last year, so you know this more than anything. Four, <laughs> four out of every five days at double A, you're just not facing, but you're not facing Major League pitching. And, and I don't, yeah. like it's tough for, it's just tough for me to see how that helps hitters more than throwing them into the fire. You know, I mean, there's just, just there's this baseball conventional wisdom that if you bring a guy up too early, you can ruin him for the rest of his career. Where I think it's more, I think it's more, along, the, I think it's more along the lines of he was never going to be any good to begin with. Yeah, or you don't want to throw a guy in the fire because then his clock's going to start ticking. Right, but but right. but again, I mean that's a financial aspect. That's probably more. I mean that has something to do with it too. Like KP Crawford, you saw him; he probably could play in the majors if you really wanted him to. Right, but I'm. But talking, is it worth it for his pocket pick? I don't right, know. but think about how long you know. It, it, it's not even a. See, I think that service time considerations are part of it, but I I really do think there's a there's a there's this wisdom that a guy has to be ready, whatever that means. Yeah, like an old-school mentality, thinking... Yeah, and a lot of it comes down to defense, I mean. But to me, if you can play defense every day at a major league level, and you've shown in the minor leagues that you can hit a 90, 95-mile-an-hour fastball, 
then really yeah. the only thing left for you to do is come up and, and face the guys who can paint the corners and, and throw breaking stuff because you're not going to get that in the minors. That's true. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for agreeing You should be me. the devel- director of development. You know what? I should be a lot of things. I think this world would be a lot better off if... if if I'm gonna bring you. I'm gonna bring you to Reading this year. You can ride shotgun with me. All right, man. And you'll get to in the hoop. What, what do you drive like? A uh, young, impressionable mind. You drive like a Mercury Sable or something? Uh, 98 Toyota Camry. Are there? Is there like? Are there like patches of dried gum stuck on the passenger seat? No, I keep it clean. I'll right. even uh, I like water bottles in the front seat, but I'll clean them out for you. Ah, thanks, man. I I I appreciate that. What uh? What have you seen? Out, what have you seen out of uh? My favorite part of spring training is watching pitchers that I have not seen before and making definitive proclamations about them. So I was wondering if you could do the same, um, since I have not seen Vincent Velasquez throw yet. I've already declared Jake Thompson the best prospect in the system and a higher, a, a much higher ceiling than Aaron Nola, potential number one even. Uh, I agree, I agree. But I have not seen... Um, like I think, I think Jake Thompson is the, guy, is the guy who's most likely to anchor your playoff rotation when the Phillies are... Uh, whenever they get back to that contending status. I, I think Aaron Nola is, you know, I, I think he's like a number three, number four maybe. Um, but that's just me. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I would push Nola to a three. I don't know if he's a four, but I, well, I'm talking about in like a, I'm talking about definitely. in like a playoff rotation where Jordan Zimmerman was a three or a four, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. If it's back. And, but I agree. I think Jake Thompson has the feeling to be a one and be a really dominant one. But what about Vincent Velasquez? Because I have not seen him play at all or throw at all. And he's fits he's fit really well. Um, What's he got? Give me, a scouting, give me a scouting report. What's that? I said, give me a scouting report. What's he got? Throws hard. Like, what's hard? 96. No. He sits at 96? Yeah, and and in the first start of spring training, he's throwing 96. And, uh, what was that? Was that Kevin Cooney's radar gun, 96? My radar gun. Oh, okay. Uh, but is that was that the book on him? Did he? I mean, is he touching? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's a hard thrower. They actually thought he might. I don't know. If they as in the Soviet reports were that if he didn't make the rotation, he could be like the closure of the future. But I think they're they want him to be a, a starter. What's his? What are? Well, I guess you probably haven't seen him throw much breaking stuff yet, right? Yeah, it's it's a slider. I think it, it, whatever it's a, yeah, it's a hard slider, a real hard slider. It's his secondary pitch, and he's working on a changeup. And uh, what did Which it seems like everybody in camp is working on the changeup. What did my boy uh, Mark Appel, don't call me Apple, even though I always do, uh, what did he look like his first time out? He pitched this split squad in Tampa. I, didn't, I wasn't there because I was here in the Clearwater. But he, I think he walked that four guys in two yeah. innings, yeah. Um, worked himself out of trouble, was a little wild. He pitches again today, so... Uh, which is Wednesday. It's worth noting that and he's in the split squad where Kelb is in, ba- in uh, Fort Myers against the Twins. Worth watching to see if he is a little more, uh, you know, less wild than he was the last time out. Yeah, is that on television? It is not. I don't uh, think so. All right. Well, I guess I'll. You can. It's worth following the tweets. <laughs> I will follow. <laughs> I will follow your obnoxious Grapefruit League play-by-play tweets. You, th- there's the only thing worse than Grapefruit play-by-play tweets. Is um, is hockey tweets of any? I was gonna any, say you better say hockey tweets because yeah, that of any. It's type. like every single moment. Uh, Claude Giroux just sneezed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or by his nickname, G. He yeah. just sneezed. <laughs> I, uh, I, I I actually went to. I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I went to my first Flyers game three or four weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I saw it. Funny. As you might know, I am not a huge hockey guy. I, um, it's just something that I don't have room for in my life. Uh, you know, I've got enough going on, but I will say this: I had a very good time. I enjoyed. Uh, it, it, I enjoyed cover not not just covering the Flyers, but actually watching the game. There's not a bad seat in that house. It's it's a complete. No, it's a it's nice a, place. It's a lot a, of energy. A lot know, of energy in the building, right? Yeah, and and it's well. Was there? How was the room? What was the vibe like in the room? Uh, what is like the press box? Yeah, the room. What's the that's room? The, that's what they call like the uh, locker room. Oh, oh, oh. The vibe was there was, a lot of jam. Did they play with jam? The vibe was um the the, the vibe was a lot of reporters and and not many players. Yeah. Um, but anyway, w- what I was about to say is that it's in person. It's not at all like the sport on Twitter, and <laughs> I really Shocking. I really enjoyed it. But uh but yeah, yeah. It, do not tweet play by play unless you're Kevin Cooney, no. unless you're Kevin Cooney and then it's a compulsion and you can't really help it. Um. <laughs> 
So yeah, Velasquez. Uh, so anyway, I was saying uh, Appel. I was I, I watched a bullpen session, um, a couple of his, a, bu- a couple of his bullpen sessions when I was down there, and mm-hmm. yeah, I was I was uh, I was surprised at how erratic he was. Um, you know, I mean, he wasn't spraying the ball over the place, but he just. I like watching those bullpen sessions because you can see seven pitchers side by side, and yeah, yeah. it really kind of helps you like see who's keeping the ball down, see who's hitting their spots and he, he just wasn't hitting his spots and his mechanic there's just something about his mechanics that that seem uh you know difficult to repeat um and i'm not sure exactly why or what that is um you know i know the the sense was this is a guy who thinks a lot who might need to get out of his own head who might need a change of scenery but as i felt with jesse biddle he might just be a guy who needs to learn how to repeat his delivery and spot his fastball yeah, and the Phillies do have a good uh, player development structure, so I think it's a good thing that you know he's going to start the season in AAA. He's not going to be rushed to the majors, and if you think there's you know somebody needs to work with his delivery, they're going to do that. They're going to you know do what they can to get him prepared for the majors. But he was restricted in uh, Houston. I forget what it was, but either pitches were taken away or you know some type of restrictions were put on him. So now the Phillies are just going to give him a clean slate, let him. And then work with them from there. They want they want to get to know him and see what he looks like. And uh, I, 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 it's hard for me to believe that this guy was number one pick uh, three years ago. It was the college pitcher of the year at Stanford, and now he just he can't pitch anymore. So I think he's. I think they're gonna they'll do their whatever they can to figure out what's wrong with him. The uh, well, I mean, part of the, pro- the thing is is yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, I'm with you, but it, it has happened before, you know. Yeah, it definitely has. I mean, he's not the first. He wouldn't be the first plus, but it just. I mean, it's not like he was like a high school kid they picked. He was a college, like all American, right. great pitcher. Like you knew who he was when he. And was like the college. unanimous, you know, the unanimous top overall pick, and yeah, know. it was obvious. He was back to back years. He was a top ten pick. It's just it would be it would be like if the Phillies picked you know AJ Puck right. in June and AJ Puck was just like a flameout. Well, knock on wood, there, buddy. Yeah, well, I have metal rail next to me. I'm not on that right now. <laughs> what um, have you heard anything new with regards to the draft? Uh, no, but I, I think it's going to be AJ Puck or Jason Groom, who's the kid from uh, Barnegat. Okay. But I think I think they're going to go college arm. It makes it's probably more uh, more secure. Not that anything's secure, but I think it's a safer bet, and that's what I, I think they're going to go to him. Which is so for you know anyone listening, he pitches every Saturday for Florida. You can keep up with his stats there and kind of follow him along. Yeah, and actually, the the floor. I guess not, probably very few people listen to this podcast are in uh, Sun Sports coverage area, but but they put the Florida Gators on TV a lot down there. And I want to be really? if you, you can see. You might them. be able to catch a stream online then. If that's you the might case. be able to. You can do anything online these days, or maybe you should just go to Gainesville every Saturday and periscope it for the good people of Philadelphia. Well, that's you're you're the periscope king. I don't want to put you out of a job. Nah, you're right. You're right. Um, what else do we have to talk? Oh, what's your opening day rotation? Uh, so Aaron Ola mm-hmm. is going to start an opening day, in my opinion, but I, I could be wrong. Jeremy, See, I, just think, I think it makes more sense to have him start the home opener, but that's just me. Yeah, me too. But whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, that's, that, that, is, that is Either the way, number one. Matter. That is the number one most irrelevant story that gets beaten to death. Oh, I know. In, in the it really, it was like a story like the first day we got down here. I know. It's it. Well, it's, it's like right. look, you got to find stuff to write about, I guess. Yeah, you do. It's kind of gets stale. But so that's three. Those three guys. Um, Wait, which, Jared Eichoff, who hasn't pitched in the game yet, but they have no concern that he's going to be fine. Is I think he, he might pitch in the game this weekend. Is like off the mound? He broke a small bone in his thumb. Is Eichoff? And then your fifth starter will be, uh, I think it's going to be Vince Velasquez, who who wants to go by Vince, not Vincent. Okay. Well, we'll we'll we'll. Uh, what about yeah, Vinny? Fix fix that for now on. Put that in your in your brain. What about Vinny? Vinny. Yeah, it could work. You should ask him about that. I will. I'll say Dave Murphy wants to know. Um, what, uh, I, I'm sorry. I was talking over you, as I'm wont to do. You, you said uh, Nola and then Morton, who I thought looked like Charlie Morton the other day. Um, and I think is better That's than... That's a good observation. Charlie <laughs> Morton looks like Charlie Morton. <laughs> but I, what I'm saying is he looks... He, he, is, he is far better than any of the slop they were running out there. Yeah, no, I agree. Last year you had... You, you um, 
uh, Chad Billingsley and Aaron Ring were your two guys that you wanted to build up, right. like re- reclamation projects, and then ship them off. But I mean, no one you knew those guys were going to break down or fall apart, and they did. And then Helixson. So I think you have two better options with Helixson and Morton that are a little younger. Um, you know, they can build up a little bit, and then you trade them and. June or July, and who knows, Nick, uh, Jake Thompson might be ready by then. So we go, Nola, so it's Nola, Helixson, Morton, and then who, uh, Ike. So has Eikhoff thrown off the mound yet? He's thrown off the mound. He threw a bullpen on, uh, it was over the weekend, it was Saturday whoa, whoa, whoa. or Sunday. So, 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 wait, wait, let's back up a little bit because I, he actually had just the day, the day I left or the day before I left, he had just thrown his first bullpen session off the mound, um, since breaking that bone in his hand. And yeah, you're, te- you're telling me he's still only throwing bullpen sessions. Yes. So yeah, he actually he, he might have threw like live BP. I think he threw live BP over the weekend. I mean, it's all the same, but so he faced live hitter. All right, so Jared, he hasn't been in the not game yet. Jared Lykoff is not going to be ready weekend, for the I mean, not that these guys are could be wrong, but he uh, he said he's going to be fine for the start of the season, which he wouldn't have to be ready until. Like that second game in New York. All right. Well, I'm giving a, a week I, later. It sounds to me, given my given my experience with the way baseball people talk about opening day, it's my experience that he's not going to be ready for opening day, and he'll start 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 the season on a rehab. Uh, yeah, which, so that's my which prediction. Definitely going to happen. That's well, why you're an ATSC award winner. I know. I mean, hey, you know, I don't, hey, I don't like to brag. You know. Let's, yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, so it could be Brett Brett Erbelholter. How'd he look? Guy from Delaware. He could be your. Swingman, fifth starter with Velasquez in there too. How did Oberholzer look his first time out? Fine. I mean, he's he. Uh, I think he had three shutout innings. So, on, so, so he was today, always a guy on Monday. His his numbers. I mean, the thing about Morton and Oberholzer is they're basically better versions of Kyle Kendrick. At least when you look at you. At least when you look at their career stats. And wow, Kyle Kendrick has a certain reputation in this town and was not necessarily. Roy Halladay, he he was bet he probably would have been the se- you know second or third starter in last year's rotation at times, um, and I think both, yeah. both of those guys are known as strike throwers, ground ball throwers, and guys who did not walk people. But last year, Oberholzer's walk rate it looked like spiked a little bit. Did did you talk to have you talked to him at all about that? I haven't talked to him at all. I shared his whole camp. Man, what did he do to you? I know, and nothing. I I talked talk to him with everybody else. I thought about that this morning. That was the one guy for whatever so, reason I haven't. I was off Monday when he pitched. Do you feel bad about but that? But I haven't actually talked to him. Do you feel bad about that? I'm sure. Yeah, I do. I feel guilty. I'm going to talk to him today. He's sure he's a great guy. Do you think he goes home at night and wonders? <laughs> Probably when like, why is Matt Green not talking to me? It's uh, you know yeah. what, man, you gotta you gotta look out for the little people too. That's my advice to young Matt Breen. So Oberholzer would be number five. I am and a little think, person. Huh? So you think Vincent Velasquez over who, who are the other fifth starter candidates? Morgan. Yeah, uh, and that's a guy who pitched good yesterday. I, I, I forget him sometimes, but, I mean, he pitched pretty well last year. I don't want to count him out either. But I would put him in the mix. Velasquez in the mix. Overholster's in the mix. That's realistically, that's about it. Does that, does Velasquez has, have options left? Yes, Overholster doesn't have options left. Okay, so Overholster's on the team. Yeah, it's definitely. Just a matter but if I he's think a long man. In the perfect or... world, he's your long man. But okay. like you said, if if I call out, then he's he's going to start season the rotation. Always get pushed to the bullpen. And then, so now here's here's the other interesting thing. When you look, start looking at the minor league system, there's eight or nine guys who should be at least according to their progression pitching in a Triple A rotation this year. Yeah, definitely. Triple A is where you're going to. Some competition and a lot of a lot of your top like last year, Reading was you know your top prospect place. Right, and then you've added, a, a you've added this year. four new guys and knocked you know David Buchanan down. So so, who, who do you think is the Triple A rotation for the Iron Pigs this year on opening day? Uh, we'll start with not including hey, Adam, not including Eikhoff. Yeah, yeah, Eikhoff. This is with Eikhoff being healthy and on the on the uh, team. So. Opening day for the Iron Pigs is Adam Morgan or Vince Velasquez, whoever makes whoever doesn't make the Phillies. And then Zach Eflin will be there. Um, Alex Asher, who was on the team last year, he actually pitches today. He should be there. Mark Appel should be there. And then your fifth guy could be – oh, Jay Thompson will be there. So, right. Yeah, that was easy. So what happens to guys like Buchanan, Severino Gonzalez? Uh, what about Lively? 
Yeah, that Ben Live will probably be in double A. Okay. But Davey can not. I, I don't know. I, that's a, that's maybe the guys I listed, maybe one of them actually starts in double A and Cannon's in triple A. Severino, I don't know. I, really, you have a, a lot of guys, which I guess isn't a bad thing to, no. to have that issue. Well, who's in the so? It's definitely are, a better place they were a year ago. Are any of those guys in the bullpen for the Phillies or for the Iron Pigs? For the Phillies. I mean, the Iron Pigs could always go with a six-man rotation. Yeah, yeah, they definitely could have like a twelve-man rotation. Yeah, it's you can do whatever they want down there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you've got so who's so, so Freire? I didn't. I was not impressed. I was not impressed by what I saw out of Ernesto Freire the other day. You were impressed with him. I was not. No, I. But they took flyers on, you know, five, about five of these uh, bullpen guys and hope that two of them pan out. And I think Andrew Bailey is going to pan out. Really? He's looked good? First strikes. Yeah, he looks good. His fastball was at, like, low 90s, which is, it's like a pick or two behind where it was before he ever had shoulder surgery. So, he's almost all the way back. And that's, a, he was a top flight closer at one time. Yeah. I like him to make the team. Um, David Hernandez, who was, supposed to be the closer when the camp started he's has an elbow issue right now but he downplayed it he act, he said it's not a big deal and pete mccann said he wasn't really sure but it, it's worth noting because he had tommy john a year and a half ago and it's the same elbow obviously so when's the last time he's thrown he threw in a game he was like last uh, last week he threw um March 1st, maybe. And then he was supposed to throw Saturday in Dunedin against the Blue Jays. He didn't throw. Then they, you know, they announced he was pitching for the week. He's not on there. So I asked him Sunday morning. I said, you know, is there any, uh, what's up? Like, any, you know, you didn't pitch yesterday. You're not in the rotation. You're not in the lineups this week. And he said, you know, I, I only need to pitch 10 or 11 innings of, um, the spring. I know I have to get ready. And so it's not worth, like, pushing it. Well, that's but not, it's definitely that's not a good so if you take his word for it, he's fine. But it's worth paying attention to because he is, you know, a guaranteed guy on the roster this year. Yeah, that and that. I mean, what you just what you just described rare, rarely ends well. Um, but I guess we'll have to defer to him for the time being. Um, yeah, exactly. But Andrew Bailey kind of has emerged down there. Yeah, Andrew Bailey pitched really well. He pitched. Uh, the other day, you know, he pitched, he pitched yesterday and he pitched two days ago or three days ago and he pitched really good too. And, you know, you got to root for a guy in South Jersey um, coming back from crazy so, uh, shoulder surgery. I hate South Jersey. I don't so, have to root for anybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know. I know, like, the high school names. I don't. I couldn't get my way around there. But I'm just saying, like, make, I, make, I say roads, like, like, make a road like the rest of America, you know? Like, they do liquor, yeah. they do liquor good. They do gas good. Uh, how do you feel about pumping your own gas or, or not pumping your own gas? I, it I took like me a it. Long... Well, I'm a former gas pump attendant in high school, so <laughs> I consider myself a former professional gas pump. Are you I serious? Did, I mean, were you like? Did you go to high school in the 1950s? No. <laughs> we where, had a, where are their gas station the street, attendants? Down the street, we had like a full service gas station. That's where I worked. Did you work at the soda fountain too? Dude, you lived in like small town USA. I did not Get live in small here. town USA. I lived in the woods. There's a big difference. Small town USA yeah, was have, sorry, small town USA was six had, miles like, down the mountain. You had a horse and buggy, right? Uh, no, we don't have horse and buggies in the mountains because I can't handle the terrain, Breen. Okay, it's like an oxen. We walk, we walk, and we yeah. ride mountain bikes. Um, we uh, so what, you threw me off there. I mean, tell me a little bit more about about uh. Being a gas station attendant, like what do you? I mean, what, what's the job? Like? The funny thing is, I didn't actually have a license as a gas station attendant, so I wasn't legally allowed to do it because oh, you really? have to have a license to pump gas. Why is that? I don't know. It's just in the law. Okay. But um, no, it was a sweet job. Got paid probably like five fifteen an hour. See, I never tip the guys. Are, are, do you? Do you get tip? Did you get tips? Sometimes so we got paid hourly wage, so you weren't working for tips. But if you like. You know, you're washing people's windows and stuff, and some people would throw you like a five, which was good because then you got paid for your lunch that day. <laughs> it was a good job. It was in high school. I didn't mind it. That's awesome. I, I didn't know this actually about you. quit in the middle of the shift. I walked out. Why? And this dude was just being a jerk. So I was like, you know what? I packed up my stuff. I was like, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> I'm going. I'm 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 going to go right for the inquiry, and you're going to read me every day. 
<laughs> do you think he looks? Do you think he reads the Phillies? Your Phillies coverage? I don't know. I don't actually. They sold the place now. I mean, uh, I have I and I made it a point to like never go back there. I worked there for like two years. And I never at that day. I was like, I just walked out into the sunset and never came back. Man, good times. You know what? You know what that calls for in my book? What's that? A flaming bag of poop. Yeah. <laughs> Just Don't good. put it on your boots, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good. That's outside your generation. I'm impressed. Thank you. Uh, I'm well cultured. But yeah, I was gonna say I, I never. It took me a long time to get comfortable with having another man pump my gas. It was just I don't know what it was. Yeah, I don't know what it says about me. It's like it's just awkward. Yeah, it's just like you know what. And I hate South Jersey. Everything's off the freaking interstate. It's so annoying. It's I know. like ah, oh, it's just. I, I drive around. I'm like, why would anybody ever choose to live here? Dude, if Ryan Lawrence is listening right now, he's going to punch us through the, through know, the headphones. He's probably. Well, we should start talking about Clemson. Yeah, and Alabama roll tide. So what? Uh, what else is? What else is new? What, any predictions? Any updates to your preseason uh, prognostications about this team? Or, or is it still too early? No, I think they're still going to be. Obviously, they're not going to contend for any playoff position, but they'll still be interesting to watch. They're still, you know, at all levels, you have guys that your prospects, the major leaguers that are like a Tyler Goodell or a J.P. Crawford in AAA. You have names to keep an eye on that are eventually, when this does turn the corner, you're going to know these guys. You're going to be able to watch them from the ground up, and eventually, you know, the future is bright. So you're going to be able to see. This is a fun year. So they're going to be bad, sure, but. They're going to be worth watching. If Sealski was here, he would drop a "The future's so bright, you have to wear shades" reference. Yeah, he, that's like really hip by him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, that's cutting edge. So uh, let's go back to the bullpen real quick. Um, I was actually jotting down the names that you were saying. So, so you think let's let's beyond Hernandez, you've got Bailey. Um, Mujica seems like a very serviceable guy who he doesn't have any injury concerns, does he? No, he's uh, fine. So you got Bailey, Mujica. Um, whichever one of those starters is the long man, let's say Oberholzer, um, and then who else? Uh, Garcia was a mainstay right. the last That's right. two seasons, but he uh he got shelled his first. He was wild his first time out. So that's a guy that you know there's not guaranteed that he's going to be on the team either. I've uh, never, you know, I, Osa, I think has a chance to make it. He's he's been pretty solid. Say that again. Who was that? Uh, Dahlia, Hinojosa, oh, that's right, the that's right. guy they picked up last season off waivers. Yeah, he's got he he had a really good eighteen inning stretch for them. Yeah, he was he's pretty solid. He's a Cuban guy and um, throws hard. A former like uh, Miguel Perez Gonzalez was a big time signing by Boston. He just never panned out. Yep. Um, and who else? How many more guys do we need there? Let's see, what, I, have, I have you down for Bailey, Mujica, Oberholzer, Garcia, Hinojosa, Hernandez. Is there any? Are there any other uh, competitors? Oh uh, yeah, uh, what's his name? They have two sidearm guys: Craig Burke, who's That's from right. South Jersey. Once again, shout out South Jersey. What what? And then Bobby uh, Lafram Boyce, who's a lefty sidearm guy. Lafram Boyce has been really good. I, I think. I think Lawford Boyce makes a team funky delivery, um, nice lo- nice uh, location. Doesn't throw hard, but he, he's spot on with his location. So I think I, I think he makes a team. So you don't think you don't think Freire makes a team? No, I think he makes a team. Oh, How yeah. many? Maybe uh, is, every, know, is everybody making the team? team? Is this like T-ball? <laughs> everybody makes a team. All right, they're going to be in competition to make the team. We got three weeks left. Okay. I'm not, so, putting, I'm not putting my 25 man roster together yet. All right, but those are the uh, those are the. I've never understood the Luis, Luis I, I, I've never understood the Luis Garcia thing, uh, but he just keeps putting Good up. Story though. What's that? oh, he's a great story, and and he yeah. frankly, he, he he puts up. He, I mean, he he keeps runs off the board, or at least he did last year. He's just he never. Yeah. You know he he walks he walked five guys per nine innings last year. This is his walks per nine rate. Um, in his three seasons, 2013, 6.6 walks per nine, 2014, 8.4 walks per nine, and 2015, 5.0 walks per nine. I get the sense this is one of those guys that the met- the advanced metrics would not like. 
I mean, this, no, I mean that's he put, pretty he, bad. He, 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 put a three he point, doesn't have to pitch nine innings, right? He put a three point. He put a three point seven three ERA up in two thousand thirteen in thirty one innings, despite walking six point six batters per nine against six point six strikeouts per nine. Uh, yeah, that's like unfathomable how you can do that. Yeah. So, but he's. I would guess he's. Uh, I mean, he can be outrighted. I'm sure. I'm, I'm not sure that he's a waiver claim. But uh, but yeah, it's nah, interesting. I don't the, think bullpen, so either. the bullpen. I, I, you know the bullpen is going to, in many ways, determine how bad this team is. I think. Yeah, definitely. The bullpen's wide open, and and it, like you said, determine how bad it is. If these starters, you know, are half decent, you're you're handing it off to a, a pretty much an unknown group of guys. Right. And but, it has a chance to get pretty ugly. Yeah, but I also think that it's got some upside. But but I that it definitely does. But it, it definitely. It's, but it's that more, upside also. I think it's, sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm just saying like like. It, you definitely could have a lot of guys that you turn around like Andrew Bailey. Um, well, I was going to say know, David Hernandez. I don't think it's, it's that bad. I'm a big David Hernandez fan from back before the injury. Um, you know, Me he's, too. I, David Hernandez is a good guy. He throws hard, but he's got a, he's got huge, huge upside. But but it's that's definitely not a good sign if he's if he's got a bulky elbow right now. It's not, and you hope that what he's saying is that he knows what he needs to get ready and all that is that's that's the truth. But you never know. Yep, I hear you. Well, look, man, I've uh, I've kept you long enough. I you didn't answer me about my Madden league. Oh yeah, how's your Madden league going? So Matt, Matthew I'm Breen, Bowl, Matt Breen is in a um, Matt Breen is in a uh, Madden online league, PlayStation Four with with all of his buddies, and I guess they. What, what do you guys do? You, you at one point you just had a franchise. You just had a dra- you know fantasy type draft. We had a fantasy draft. There's ten of us in the league, so ten of the thirty NFL teams are user-owned and last night i went to the afc changing game and we're going to serve all oh, we, wow. we beat somebody so bad the guy quit the league after the game wow congratulations man that's big thank you I'm really proud of you dave i wish you could be here to enjoy it with me i you know what i'm you gonna, know how i celebrated how did you celebrate did you pour milk all the over mexican yourself shirley temple <laughs> matt breen does I not swear, drink. i swear that's what i had last night matt, uh, did you really have a shirley temple a Mexican Shirley Temple. Oh, that's right. oh, oh, Mex- got it. That's that Mexican voice. Yeah, Matt Breen is the Matt Breen is a 25 year old man trapped in a 12 year old's <laughs> palate. He uh, he loves he he would eat cookies and milk for every meal if he could. <laughs> and as for me, I am out of here. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. We'll be back next week with Mike, with Mike Sielski and Jonathan Tannewald to uh, break down whatever madness happens in the world of Eagles and uh, whatever else uh, is of relevance in Philadelphia sports. Take care.